Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. Find three or four people around you, and would you answer a light question for Halloween? What are you worried about? Enjoy. The American Psychological Association will tell us that most Americans experience anxiety and depression because we have a fear of the future. The future is the most paralyzing component of what it means to be human. It represents the unknown. And we're fearful of it. And because we're fearful of it, it often paralyzes our ability to move forward in our lives. And that's nothing new. That's just part of what it means to be human. The unknown is scary. It creates worry within us. It creates anxiety within us. It creates depression. It creates a lot of layers that affect us in so many different ways. So today we're gonna go back to some of the words of Jesus and look about how Jesus talks about worry. I know an exciting, very hopeful message on a Sunday morning on Halloween. Promise you we're gonna go somewhere with it. But in order to do that, we're gonna talk about some things. So we're gonna talk about Sawain. Uh, which is really the origins of Halloween. Then we're going to talk about some billionaire supervillains because, you know, we've got a lot of them in this world these days. And if we talk about billionaire supervillains, then we need to reframe the kingdom in a way that actually works for our lives in Los Angeles nearing the end of 2021. And if we can do that, then, of course, we've got to look at a really important piece of psychology, Maslow's hierarchy. And if we can do that, then the reticular activating system, my friends. And if we can talk about the RAS, because who doesn't love a little RAS sorting of information in your amygdala, then we'll talk about some healthy practices. And if we can understand healthy practices in our life, then we're going to talk about some gratitude. And if we can do gratitude, then we can live into mindfulness. And if we can understand mindfulness in the present, I'll talk about that marathon training that's going on, Bob Ross, right? Appreciate that. Uh, and then we can talk about a mantra and how we move into the future. And then, of course, to end it on a Halloween day. Spanks, my friends. Yes. I'll clap for myself then, and the crowd got wild. That's so good. In the ancient world, uh, so actually 1,200 years ago, the Christian church took on the celebration and the holiday that we now know as Halloween because they took over a Celtic tradition uh, that was created around harvest to placate the dead spirits that would come back on a certain night. And the Catholic Church did what the Catholic Church did at its best and at its worst uh, throughout the centuries is we would do something called syncretism, where we would take on the holidays or cultures of other, uh, we would take on the holidays of other cultures and we would reframe them so they made sense within Christian tradition. Sometimes the best of Christianity is when we participated in syncretism because what we would do is that we would welcome other cultures to shape the Christian tradition and the path forward. When the church was often at its worst, we would just completely obliterate those traditions and we would make traditions of our own and not listen to the other cultures that Christianity was participating with. It's a complicated narrative. But 1,200 years ago, just like today, there was an anxiety around the harvest because you had worked so hard all summer long to produce food for your village or for your city or for your family. And what you didn't want was for unseen forces to affect right, the harvest that you had just created. And then and now, like sometimes I think we're like, oh, we're so smart now. We don't believe in these things. You all still believe. You lose your keys and you do the same thing now. Like, God, what did I do wrong? Why did I lose my keys, right? <laughs> We're spiritual creatures. 
We make sense of cause and effect of everything that's going on in planet Earth all of the time. And so 1,200 years ago, there was this need to appease the dead spirits because you were protecting your harvest. So they would have this night, Sawin, right? And on this night is when they would put out treats or they would put out things for the spirits so that they could appease them so that the spirits wouldn't go affect their harvest, so that their harvest could last the rest of the winter. The point is this, that as human beings, we constantly have worries about the future. We're constantly making meaning about what might happen out there. I don't know what's going to happen in the long winter months, but I know that sometimes when winter is coming, right, it can feel terrifying and unknown. I'm not going to know how to navigate it. So as human beings, we want to control in some way the anxiety about the future by creating meaning around the present. This is just what we do. We live in an incredibly anxious world right now. It is terrifying just to be on the news. We are living in an ecological climate disaster. I try not to think about it, and then I have to think about it. Is anybody there sometimes? Because it's real. We know that there are forces impacting our current environment and climate, and as human beings, we have a part to play in that. And then there's times where that's incredibly overwhelming. There's times that I just pretend that's not happening and blast my AC up even more, right? We all live in this complicated cognitive dissonance of just about living on planet Earth in the current moment. And then what I love about the, I love is a strong word, but what I'm fascinated about living in our current moment with the anxiety that's going on within our planet is that we just have all these billionaires doing wild things. Have you ever looked at these billionaires and thought, you cannot make this up. These people are from a Marvel movie. Here we go. These are supervillains. Yes. And they're trying to get off of the planet, and my anxiety is, they're trying to leave us behind, right? There's all these movies about this kind of stuff. Did anyone see Mark Zuckerberg in his like meta release of his video? I'm like, this is not a real human being. He's already downloaded himself to the cloud and he hasn't told us yet, right? And it's incredible. And so we live in this world where there's anxieties, and we live in this world where we're fearful of the future, and we're trying to make meaning of that future, and we put our trust in all kinds of people to shape that future for us, because sometimes in our own present and current reality, it feels overwhelming and that we don't have the power to control to deal with our life on our own life's terms. And what I love about Jesus is that Jesus is always inviting us back into a process of participation and practice. That for so many of us, the narrative that we were given about Jesus is that Jesus just came to do some magic in the world. He came because we were bad. God was mad at us, so he needed to die. Sprinkled fairy dust over us. I know I'm being reductionistic. I'm not trying to be cynical, but really these are some of the narratives that we received. And they've psychologically affected us, right? And then what happens is we're just told if we have enough faith or just believe strong enough or pray hard enough that Jesus is going to fix everything for us. And then you were trying to figure out your purpose. You were wondering, were you enough? You had all of these questions about relationships and like, wh why is this thing healthy? But there's still something inside of me that worries that I'm going to be abandoned. And no matter how much we prayed about it or sprinkled magical Jesus dust on it, it wasn't changing within us. Because maybe we've been giving an unhealthy narrative about who Jesus is. Because the narrative that Jesus is trying to provide for us is one of interdependence. One where God has to do God's part because God's God. That's why we call it faith and not certitude or certainty. 
And then there's another side of the equation, which is us as human beings. What's our part to play in this? How can we practice some things and participate in this reality that Jesus is inviting us into so that we can take control of whatever it is that we can control in our lives? And generally, the only thing that we can control in our lives is our own internal journey. Can we do the work here, even though when it feels messy, so that we can have a better perspective about how the world looks out here and that we can participate in what's going on out here in a completely different way? To understand that more, let's look at the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? That was an interesting break. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? That was fast. I like that. You are ready for it. I'll give you the pause, and then we'll go. All right? We're going to tag team this well. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? By the way, you don't even need to preach a sermon on this. You can really just read it, and you're like, true. Yeah, you got me there. No interpretation needed. And there's another part of you that's like, but how? I know that I can't add a single hour to my life, but worrying is completely comforting, to be honest, because I don't know how to move forward into purpose. I don't know how to tell myself that I'm enough. I don't know how to navigate these relationships. Maybe I know partly how, but I'm looking for more information. I think that Jesus invites us into something where we can be honest and say, I don't want to worry, I know what it does to me, and I'm looking for some tools to navigate the journey along the way. Jesus goes on to say, and why do you worry about clothes, hipsters? <laughs> I don't know, that's just random, that has nothing to do with anything. It's not an attack on anybody, you look great. Uh, See how the flowers of the field grow, they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is sown into the fire, will God not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. The first part of that passage, again, is incredibly practical, and there's not a lot of commentary needed, because I think that we would all, at just a gut and heart level, say, I'm with you there, Jesus. Worrying doesn't add a lot to my life, but it feels like there's a lot of things to worry about sometimes. Where Jesus gets practical is he says, but seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness and all these things will be given to you. So there's the moment of clarification about how do we navigate the worries of this world and it feels a little theological in some ways. What is God's kingdom and what is God's righteousness so that these things may be given to me and the things that are being given to me is freedom over that fear and that anxiety so that I can live practically into this life that I've been given. And for me, this is maybe the most, one of the top components of like theology and reframing and reclaiming and reorienting people in Jesus is this. Jesus came to proclaim the kingdom of God. Many of us in this room were told that Jesus came to die so that God would be happy with you. 
If you've like never heard something like this before, you're like, I feel uncomfortable. Good, we'll do some research together here. The kingdom of Jesus is talked, Jesus talks about God's kingdom over 80 times. Jesus never one time tells you that he came to die for you. Isn't that interesting? That we've been given a message that Jesus came to solve a problem, but Jesus comes and he says, no, I've come to give you a greater reality into the goodness of God. Those are two very different things. Richard Rohr says a line that I say all the time at New Abbey is that Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about you. Jesus came to change your mind about God. And what we've done over the years is that we've given a narrative about Jesus that says that Jesus is somehow dealing with the problem that God is angry at you. And that psychologically is damaging. If you had to pay your parent to love you, you wouldn't feel healthy as a human being. If you knew that your parent was setting you up to navigate the complexities of reality well, and that they were giving you tools and they're gonna be there with you in ways that you couldn't be there for yourself to navigate life, you'd be like, what an incredible parent. And that's what God's doing. So when we say kingdom, I want you to take the word kingdom and just shift it to reality or perspective. Again, we don't live in kingdoms anymore, but Jesus is offering us a greater reality. In the day that Jesus lived, kingdoms were everything, right? Caesar had a kingdom that was running the world at the time, and that kingdom did not work for everybody. And guess what has not changed? Throughout history, sometimes the kingdoms of this world work better for others than they do for the rest of society. The kingdoms of this world tend to work better for the billionaires. I'm not saying they're evil, bad, malicious, anything like that. Our kingdoms, capitalism, is just set up to honor that more than people who are making $15 an hour. We have kingdoms that work in different ways, right, in this world. And Jesus is coming to challenge those kingdoms to say, man, how do we have a different reality for what it means to be human so that you can navigate whatever kingdoms are going on? Because as human beings, one thing is not going to change. You're not going to stop worrying. You're not going to stop having anxiety. So how do we change your reality and your perspective? Because you can't control all the external factors that are going on in the world, but you can control, and really the only thing you can control is you. And then Jesus says, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. The word righteousness feels like really big, right? It feels like very holy. It feels like somebody should be like shouting it from a stage, like righteousness, you know, something like big like that. I got spooked to someone in front. That was good. I got that. You're like, all right, one up. That's nice. Gotcha. <laughs> Righteous just, just means doing right. What I love before Jesus gives this sermon on the mount is that Jesus goes about doing right. He goes about healing everyone. So before Jesus gives these words for people to practice into, Jesus makes sure, make sure, makes sure that everyone is healed. Again, what Jesus does is wherever he goes, he makes more things right. If we were to pull society and we said, when you think of followers of Jesus, would you say that wherever they go, they make things more right? What might society say? And for me, that's a challenge because it's not like, oh, well, those are them over there. No, no, we're claiming the same brand. So I can spend my entire life talking about what I'm moving from, or I can live a life that when people think of Jesus, when they think of good news, when they think of the church, they're like, oh, I think it's what that guy's talking about. I think it's what this community of people's talking about. I'm down for that Jesus. I'm down for that Jesus where these people are internally doing their own work and wherever they go, they make the world more right. 
I'm down for these people who live into a greater reality and a greater perspective of what it means to be human, that they can handle the complexities and nuances of what it means to be a homo sapien in 2021 in a place like Los Angeles. That's the people that I'm interested in. I can't name or deconstruct or post enough things on the internet to deal with something over there. All I can, can do is control myself. All we can do while we show up on a Sunday morning, even on Halloween, dressed like we're dressed today, because we're committed to remembering and reminding ourselves of that greater reality. We, as the body of Christ, have a work to do together. We, as the body of Christ, are going to be about this kingdom, this reality, and this perspective in a different way, because we still believe that this is the most transformational message that the world has ever heard. We have the ability to do right in a different way because the world needs more righteousness. Not some holy, false version of your ability not to sin. That was never helpful for anybody. The world needs more righteousness in your actual capacity to deal with life on life's terms. So if we can reframe kingdom and we can reframe righteousness, then we can get into some practical things to think about how we actually live out this life of Jesus. And with that, let's look to Maslow's hierarchy. Maslow would say this. This is the old school pyramid, and clearly we used a great uh, JPEG image here. Um, Ties are down, people. If you want to see this image get higher quality, you know what to do. That was just a joke, but that's funny, I think. Okay. If it spoke to you, go with it, is all I'm saying. If it spoke to you, go with it. Physiological safety, loving, belonging, and esteem, these four bottom parts of the hierarchy for Maslow are just, this is what you need as a human being if you ever want to have self-actualization. If you don't, like, have a place to sleep, if you're not eating food, if you're not in healthy relationships, it's really hard to be creative. How many of you have been there? It is hard to, oh, sorry, I, I like, didn't give you a chance to raise your hands. How many of you have been there? Yeah. And you're a creative town. We're in Los Angeles. There's so many people who come to this town with big hopes and big dreams, and we want to be creative, and this is the place where we tell stories for the rest of the world. And then you got here, and you're like, holy shit, I have to be a barista, right? I'm not even knocking on that, but it just wasn't what you dreamed. And that there's these functional parts of life that you have to go do before you can create those dreams for the world, or you need to learn to do them at the same time. And it's difficult. And the interesting thing that Maslow will talk about is those four bottom parts, we rarely recognize when they're going well, but we always recognize when they're going bad. And that's how the human brain works. When we're, things are going well, we don't think about it. Our brains don't hold on to that information going well. But if any one of those items are missing, we're on the couch and Netflix is going hard for four hours, people. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah. The absence of our basic needs being, being met really creates a bunch of panic within our souls. It creates panic within our being. We have incredible fears about what the future will look like. And just one of those things can be off. Everything else can be going well, but if one of those things is going off, our brain starts sending sirens out there. And so I think what's interesting from a, from a psychological and neurological perspective is that we just have so much information now that backs up what Jesus is saying that it's really about our reality, it's about our ability to create our realities and our perspective to do right in the world. The uh, reticular activator system within your brain is the part of your brain that just simply sorts information. And it only sorts information based on what you're telling it. That's all that it does. It doesn't sort information magically. So if you tell your reticular activating system to start looking for Toyota Camrys, it's the only car that you will see on the road. Your brain will see it. 
If you tell your reticulating activating system that you are lonely right now, you cannot watch a commercial without being like, they have relationships. <laughs> right? If you tell your reticular activating system that you are a victim, you will be a victim. Let me clarify that one. There's a difference between being victim and victimhood. Many of you are real victims, and I take that incredibly serious in a community like New Abbey. So let me always pause to say that. I never want to brush over a comment like that. And we will always honestly deal with the healing that needs to take place for real victims and some messed up stuff in our society, whether that's sociological or that's just personal stuff that you've dealt with. Victimhood sometimes is a mindset that has nothing to do with those things. And it's a way that we live into the world and how we operate in a different way. And I think Jesus speaks into that in different ways, that you're getting what you want your reticular activated system to be looking for. And so Jesus is welcoming, welcoming us into this process of having a different reality and a different perspective about how we see ourselves. And so here's some practical tools that I think will help us along the way as we think about this kingdom of righteousness that we want to live into as we reframe frame that and reclaim that. Man, that really, that was like evangelical right there. That was good. <laughs> Number one, gratitude. Psychology will tell us gratitude heals our brains. Psychology will tell us that gratitude literally changes the way that we look into the world. When you look back on your past, and instead of looking on all of the past and naming all of the horrible things that happened to you, and you start naming, oh, but you know what? There was a moment where somebody showed up for me. Oh, there was a moment of grace. There was the surprise. I got that job, actually. Oh, that thing actually happened to me. When you start looking back and putting gratitude into your past, it reorients your present and your future. I don't have to convince you of that. Psychology tells us our brain actually rewires when we practice gratitude. There are so many incredible stories out there with this. Harvard did this study where they took 411 people and they had them go practice gratitude with people that they had never said thank you to before in their lives. So they got 411 people in a room. I have no idea why it was that number, but that's what they had. And these people went back in time and wrote a letter to somebody that they had never thanked before before being there in their life. And the lasting effects on brain capacity, health, and happiness lasted over three months because they changed their brain. They changed their reality. They changed their perspective. Instead of saying, oh man, it always goes wrong for me back there to say, oh no, not that person. That person was there for me. That person stood up for me. I know, but the church and that person and my family. I know, but there was that person. There was that teacher who said that word. There was that friend that you could have never imagined. There was that message that you got. There was that moment from God where you knew nothing else was there, but that was God's spirit telling you it's okay. Amen. <laughs> and Amen. And so we go back and we look into these moments in our life and we retrain our reticular activator to be on the search for gratitude. And if we wanna change our past, then we're gonna reinvent the narratives of our past. And that's how the brain works. We're all just making up stories in here. This is just our movies going on, people. And we get to tell our brain how to filter the information of the past in different ways. That's not to say, hey, we're not gonna deal with trauma. That's not to say that we're somehow just gonna pray this thing away. That's to say that we're gonna take this thing seriously and we're gonna go in there, and we're gonna use gratitude as a means to reorient how we're actually dealing with living in the future now. And so what would it look like for you to participate in gratitude? Who might you need to say thank you to? They did another study where people were raising money for a foundation. When management came in and thanked all of the people who were raising that money, they raised 50% more money the next week. People just wanted to be told that they were valuable. That when they experienced gratitude from somebody else, gratitude was contagious in their own bones. Isn't that interesting? That when you have gratitude, you give gratitude. When you act like a cynic, you offer cynicism to the rest of the world, right? 
we have a choice about what we're putting inside of ourselves and what we give out to other people. If we can practice gratitude and change the reticular activating system and the things that we're sorting in our life, then I think we can also move to a place of mindfulness in the present. And mindfulness is simply our ability to not judge what's happening in the present moment. Your reticular activating system is also just sorting information right now. You're too hot, you're too cold, why is he saying this? Would he stop already? What's going on in the room? That person looks great over there. Man, that person gave me a weird look today. I'm still thinking about what am I gonna wear later? We're sorting endless information all of the time. Our brains are constantly spinning and most of the time we're reacting to the information that we're giving ourselves. And sometimes an emotion is attached to those thoughts and then we just let those emotions go other places. We're like, I am so upset right now. What am I upset about? Because we're just feeling things. and then You're not bad. You're not evil. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just who we are as human beings. Mindfulness is this practice where we slow down meditation or prayer, and we simply just exist. And we start exercising muscles within us, and we just say, oh, I'm here. Like, close your eyes right now, everybody. And breathe in super deep. And exhale. What a gift that your body just breathed for you. Breathe in. And breathe out. Mindfulness just says, oh, I'm here. There's, someone put a chair here this morning just so I could sit. I don't have to judge that. It's just here. Breathe in. Breathe out. All those things that I'm worried about don't have to exist in this moment. Because right now I'm just here. I'm just breathing, I'm just living, and that's mindfulness. Jesus is always trying to bring us back to that place. He's like, look at the birds. They're not sitting around worried about their 401ks. They're just flying. Look at the flowers of the field. They're incredibly beautiful. What I love is that Jesus turns this on us, and this, again, when you want to know what God's like, look to Jesus, and Jesus says, and aren't you so much more valuable than them? Maybe that's the mindfulness that you just needed to hear today. What if God's just saying to you, I know you're worrying about so much. I know you're so anxious. But you know how much more valuable you are to me than anything else on this entire planet? And you just get a B. You don't have to judge yourself. You don't have to judge all those thoughts. You don't have to attach a thousand different emotions to it. You just get to be. And we take those opportunities to practice mindfulness because there's going to come a time where you're just in traffic. There's gonna come a time where somebody just says something to you that pisses you off. And you have practiced and you have shaped your reticular activator in such a way, you've exercised some muscles in your brain so that you can just experience this present moment in a different way. That we have the right, old school church, and I still love these things where Jesus is like, go into the quiet room and pray. Mindfulness, that's all that it is, right? We like get all weird and like, I don't know the Bible, I'm deconstructing, but just mindfulness. Jesus is like, and Jesus had to get away after doing all this work. Mindfulness. Who would have thought? You're stressed out. All these people want you to feed them all the time or whatever. They got demons, you're gonna deal with it. You're like, I just need some space to myself and God. Mindfulness. And maybe that's what we need, mindfulness. Oh, I'm just exercising some muscles so that when the chaos of the world comes my way, when everybody else's external realities are coming at me, I can sit internally and say, I'm so grateful to be here. Mindfully speaking, I'm at peace and I know I can handle this because I can handle this. 
Oh, now there's a different way of being human. And so if we can practice gratitude, and if we can live into mindfulness, right, in, in, into this moment, then it changes the way that we live into the future. And I think the final thing that we think about is we live into the future by creating our own mantras. We don't allow the future to come at us. We don't have to react to everything that's happening in the future. There's powerful language out there in psychology, but when we just tell ourselves, I am whatever the thing that we are, we're just... It's like exponentially more times to be able to go live into that reality, right? I have a mantra for my life that I say every day. It's, it's long. It's got a bunch of other pieces. But the vocational part of it that I say every day is, I am a well-regarded pastor. Well-regarded for me does not mean famous. It doesn't mean popular. It doesn't mean influential. It means I'm living in integrity. I'm genuine. I try to vulnerability. I'm trying to own my own stuff. I'm trying to work through self-awareness. Do I do all this stuff perfectly? No, that's not the point. I'm just well-regarded because of that. And that's really important to me because we live in a world where pastors have become a lot of other things and they've damaged a lot of people and I don't want to be a part of that equation. And there's parts in me that could very well be a part of that equation. And anybody that's given any authority or any power in this world, right? And by the way, that's everybody because every single person in this room has authority or power over another human being in some way, shape, or form. I really didn't breathe there. We have to choose a mantra that we live into moving towards our future. For me, I want to be a well-regarded pastor. I want people to say when I die, that guy was honest about what he did. That guy was integrous about how he lived his life. That guy said the good and he said the bad and he wasn't trying to bullshit anybody, right? It wasn't about all these other things. That really matters to me. And whatever comes out of that, I can't control that. I've never had a growth plan for New Abbey. That's weird and uninteresting. I want to be healed and I want to be transformed because I trust that you're going to participate in healing and transformation yourself. This is, an, this is a me and you thing and this is an us and a we thing. I care about these things for my life because I care about these things for your life. I care that when you show up into whatever relationship you show up to, that you're going to be the healthiest version of yourself. I care about whatever job that you've been praying for and asking for, and if you can just make that much money when you finally get that thing, that you're the best version of yourself going there. I so care about this community, whether you have kids or don't have kids, that every single kid that's a part of this community knows that they're loved by God and they see it and they experience it in a radically different way because of how you're living your lives. That is how we will live out a different kingdom, reality, or perspective for the world. When we do right by one another, we're gonna change the world. And I believe in that. Today is filled with all kinds of worries. But we don't have to choose to participate within it. We can choose gratitude. We can choose just to be here now. We can choose to hear those words. Do you know how much more valuable you are than all of that? You can choose to live into the future in a different way. And whatever your I am is, you can go be the creator and the author of that truth for your life. Because no one else will create that for you. We have an opportunity, because we're here, to have a bigger reality and a bigger perspective and to do right by the world in a different way. If you get back into the same groups, we're going to answer this question with one another. What practice will you try on this week? Enjoy.
Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.